right. Well, good morning. It is uh, great to be with you all here this morning. It's great to be back with you uh, here this morning. If you are a guest who's newer here to Grace, or if you've been coming for the past couple of weeks here at Grace, chances are good uh, we have never had a chance to meet. And so let me uh, introduce myself to you. My name is Tony. I'm uh, the campus pastor here at the Medina East Campus. And uh, the reason I say it's great to be back with you is because over the past few weeks, uh, I've been traveling around a little bit. And so I had a chance to uh, be part of a couple different conferences, which was great. And then uh, in, in that, this past week or so, my family and I had a chance to get away for some vacation time. And so that was awesome, just a great chance to get away and, and get refreshed and be with my family. And so it was good to get away, and it's good to be, to be back with you here today as well. And so I thought, uh, before we jump in here today, I thought maybe I'd just share a quick story with you. It actually has uh, nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But I just thought it was kind of a fun story from, uh, from our time away this past week or so. So um, this family vacation that we went on, we actually had a family first, and we found ourselves in a circumstance that maybe some of you who are parents have found yourself in, um, and it was the, the first time in our family that one of our kids got lost. And so if you've ever had that happen, it's terrifying, and it's, you know, it's, it can be a traumatizing thing. But um, we have four kids, so we have a nine-year-old little boy, an eight-year-old boy, we have a three-year-old daughter, and then we have a one-year-old uh, little boy as well. And so I don't know if you can guess which one got lost, uh, but it was number three. It was our little princess, and if you know her that it makes all the sense in the world. And so what happened is we were, in this little, we were in this little town and we were walking into kind of this restaurant establishment. It was really busy and I'll take credit. She was under my supervision. And as we were walking into the restaurant, apparently what happened is she saw another family that looked like us and she walked away with them into another, another establishment, to another store. So anyway, we couldn't find her. We, re we realized relatively quickly she wasn't there. And so my wife and I frantically started to search 15 minutes. We couldn't find her. And if you guys know, 15 minutes is an eternity, right? And so we're freaking out. We're trying to find her. And so finally, I found a security guard. And I said to him, I said, can you please help me? I'm trying to find my daughter. I can't find her at all. And he said, ah, he said, okay, we have her. He said, so she's at our office. We were looking for parents. So he said, I'll take you to her. So I was relieved. And he took me into the security office. And there was, there was my little daughter, my little Gracie. The moment she saw me, she just busted into tears. She was totally traumatized. I was choking back tears when I saw her because, you know, the whole thing. And so I, I was talking to the security guard, and I thought this was great. This is why I tell you this whole thing. The security guard said, yeah, he said, she's been great. He said, when, when, I, when I had her come in here, I asked her, I said, what are your parents' names? And she said, well, my, my mommy's name is Jessica. And she said, and my daddy's name is Babe. <laughs> so there you go. So she said, she said, you must be Babe. So that's me. I'm Babe. So... Uh, so I guess you can call me babe if you want to. There you go. That's it. That's what my wife calls me, by the way. So that's, that's really fun. But anyway, uh, we're glad to have her back, and I'm glad to be back with you guys here as well. So everyone's safe, and we're excited about that. But hey, this weekend, I'm, I'm real excited too, because we're actually starting a brand new series, and the series that we're beginning this week is called We. And in this series, what we're going to do for the next four weeks is we actually want to talk together a little bit about some of the values that we have here at Grace Church. So what you might not know if you are newer here at Grace or if you've, maybe if you've been coming for a while, you might not know this, is that Grace Church operates from some very deep, deeply embedded values. And so uh, Grace Church is actually much bigger than just this one campus. So Grace Church is one church that exists in eight different locations right now. We have eight different campuses. And one of the things that unites us as one church is that we share a common vision and we share common values. And so these eight values that we're gonna look at are really kind of part of how we operate as a church. They're also sort of, they, they bring clarity and they bring alignment to decision-making. Uh, a lot of it brings intentionality to everything that we do together. And what we're gonna find is that these values, these aren't just values that we made up. They actually stem from some very, very deep biblical convictions. And so all of them kind of flow from the Bible. And basically it's a way that helps us really make decisions and helps us kind of process through those things uh, together. And so my guess is, my hope is that if you're a person that's been coming to Grace for a while, uh, that, that this series is gonna hopefully be for you. It's gonna be a refresher. 
Uh, my hope is that it'll be re-energizing, reinvigorating, reorienting for some of us who've been part of Grace for a while. If you're someone who's newer to Grace, I think this series is gonna be great for you too because it's gonna maybe help Grace Church make sense to you. And so if you're a person that's like, why does Grace Church do the things that you do? Why don't you do other things that you don't do? What is behind uh, the intentionality of the decisions that you make? I think this series is gonna be really helpful for those things. And I just wanna say, if you're a person who's new to Christianity, and so if you're a new Christ follower, just started to follow in Jesus, or if you're someone who's still investigating Jesus, which by the way, if that's you, we're so glad you're in the room, I think this series is gonna be really helpful for you too. And the reason is because like I said, these values aren't just values we created. These are values that stem from deep biblical convictions. And I think in a lot of ways, these values are gonna help you kind of understand God's heart because they're really the central core of what Christianity is all about. So my hope is this series will be really helpful for all of us as we navigate through that. So next four weeks, we're gonna look at four of our eight values together. Now, the reason that we're gonna look at these four is, again, in part because it's good to remind ourselves and refresh ourselves in these things, but I just wanna let you in on some of the thinking behind this. One of the reasons that we wanna look at these four values together is because we as a church are gonna be entering into the fall and the winter season. And so uh, this past summer, this past, even as, as late back as into the spring and the winter, our team and those of us who are part of Grace have been working on some big things that are coming uh, this fall and coming this winter here at the Medina East Campus. And we said, hey, before we enter into that season, we think it'd be important for us to kind of pave the way and lay the foundation of some of the things that are coming by talking about some of the core values that are central to those things. So that's kind of what we're doing together. So this, this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna start by looking at our first value that we have at Grace Church, and that's this right here. We put it this way, we live to make Jesus make sense. So I'm gonna spend our whole time today really thinking about this value. We live to make Jesus make sense. In fact, I wanna ask you this morning, uh, if you are part of Grace Church, I wanna ask you to do something that we never do here at Grace, but I wanna ask if maybe you'd be willing to say this out loud with me. We live to make Jesus make sense. So can we try that? All right, so here we go, all right, ready? We live to make Jesus make sense. Yeah, thanks for doing that. And so we live to make Jesus make sense. What do we mean by that? Well, we actually have a description that goes along with it. And here's what we say. We say that we are preoccupied with making any sacrifice to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to any that are seeking after him. So this is what we say. We live to make Jesus make sense. We live to make Jesus make sense. We are preoccupied with making any sacrifice to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to any that are seeking after him. I'll tell you, what I love so much about this value is this, is this is a value that really helps drive us. And I really love that we say that it is our preoccupation. This is our preoccupation. I love that word. Uh, it's an interesting word. If you actually go to dictionary.com or to any online dictionary and just look up a definition of the word preoccupied, I think it's pretty clarifying. Here's what preoccupied is defined as. Pre preoccupied is having or showing excessive or compulsive concern with something. It's to be consumed with, it is to be already occupied by something. And so here at Grace, we are saying we are preoccupied, right? We are excessively and compulsively concerned with. We are consumed with and we are occupied by the desire to make Jesus make sense. I wanna make any sacrifice that's necessary to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to anyone that might be seeking after. That's the way that we'd say that. Now, like I said, this value isn't just something that we pulled out of thin air. This comes from very deep-rooted biblical convictions. And so there's actually a lot of places in the Bible you can go to where you're gonna see this, this concept of making Jesus make sense show up. But I think there's probably no clearer place in the Bible than we can go to than in 1 Corinthians chapter nine. So I actually wanna encourage you, if you got a Bible, why don't you grab it with me? And I wanna show you how this conviction, how this value shows up uh, in the scripture. So 1 Corinthians 9 is where we're gonna go. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open and get there. If you uh, are using a device, some kind of iPhone or something like that, go ahead and open your Bible app. And then if you don't own a Bible or you don't have a Bible, feel free to use one of ours under the chairs and it's page 797. That's where you're gonna find 1 Corinthians chapter nine and you can go ahead and do that. Now, let me just say as well, if you do not own a physical copy of the Bible of your own, we say this all the time, but we mean it, we'd love for you to take one. So you can have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we think it's important that you take one with you and you can make that a gift from us to you. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 9, go ahead and meet me there. 
And as you're finding 1 Corinthians chapter nine, let me just kind of help orient you as to what we're about to read and look at here together this morning. So the words that we're about to read uh, are actually words written by the Apostle Paul, and they were written to a church that was in an ancient city called Corinth. Okay, now, if you're someone that's newer to the Bible or you're new to the church thing, what you might not know is that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is a very prominent early Christian leader. And so actually first, he was a, uh, a, he was a first century, very zealous, very pious uh, Jewish leader. And so he, he would have been kind of a high-ranking Jewish leader. He was zealous and he was passionate about his faith. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us that Paul, the Apostle Paul, that he was so, uh, he was so religiously devout as a Jewish man that he actually opposed Christianity and persecuted Christianity at first. So he believed that the message about Jesus and the story about Jesus, he believed that that was a threat to Judaism. And so he actually went as far to even go around and persecute Christians. In fact, the first martyr, the first person who gave his life for his belief in Jesus Christ was killed and the apostle Paul was partly responsible for that, the Bible tells us. And so he was devout, he was uh, zealous for his faith and, and, and for his Judaism. Uh, he was a, a first century kind of Jewish leader. And the Bible tells us that one day uh, he was visited by the resurrected Christ. And so the very Jesus that he was persecuting showed up to him. And the Bible says, as you can imagine, that was a radically reorienting moment for him. And so all of a sudden the apostle Paul's life shifted and he gave his entire life from that point forward to telling people about Jesus. Uh, he traveled the ancient world. He would have established churches. He became a church planter, a church leader, a missionary, all of those things. He eventually gave his life for Jesus Christ. And so his whole life was turned upside down because of his interaction with Christ. And in this passage that we're gonna look at, we're actually only gonna look at four verses. But in these four verses, I think what we're gonna see is we're gonna get a window into what was the Apostle Paul's preoccupation? What was the thing that drove his life? What was the thing that he was compulsively going after in his life? I think we're gonna see that. So let's take a look together. We're gonna start off in verse 19. And here's what Paul says. He says this, he says, though I am free, though I am free, and I belong to no one. I've made myself a slave to everyone to win, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And he says this, he says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. So four short but very powerful verses. And again, I think in this, these, these, four, these, these four verses, we see Paul's preoccupation, right? What was Paul excessively and compulsively concerned with? What was Paul consumed by and occupied with? What was the thing that drove him in life? And I think in this passage, we see it. In fact, I just want you to notice with me again, look at verse 19, look at verse 19. He says, though I am free and I belong to no one. Now, by the way, what he means by that is Paul is saying, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, he says, I'm free. I am free from my sins. I am free from the guilt that comes with sin. And I am free from the, from, from the Jewish law. And so remember, Paul was a, a Jewish man. He says, I am free from the Jewish traditions and the Jewish laws that I use, and the customs that I used to have to keep. I am free. And he says, and though I'm free, though I'm free from all those things, he says, I am making myself a slave. I've made myself a slave to everyone. In other words, he's saying, I am using my freedoms and I'm leveraging my freedoms and I'm even giving up my freedoms for what sake? And look what he says. He says, for, I'm gonna make myself to everyone, to win, to win as many as possible. So, so you notice what Paul's saying. This is his preoccupation. He says, my preoccupation is I wanna win. I wanna win as many as possible. Now, this is an interesting word, the word win. The word win is also translated. Some of you might have different Bibles and it might say gain. So Paul says, my hope is to gain as many as possible. I wanna win as many as possible. What that word literally means is it means to win someone over to something. 
And so Paul says, I wanna, I wanna win as many as possible. Now, what's interesting is, I want you to notice that in these four verses, the apostle Paul is gonna use this term five times. So notice what he says. He says, this is the preoccupation of my life. I want to win as many people as possible. And so he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. This is the second time he uses that word. To those under the law, I became like one under the law so that I might win those under the law. And then he goes on. He says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law so that I might win those not having the law. To the weak, he says, I became weak that I might win the weak. Do you notice five times over, Paul says, here's the preoccupation of my life. I wanna win, I wanna win, I wanna win, I wanna win, I wanna win. Everybody. Jews, those under the law, those not under the law, those who are weak, everybody, all means possible. I wanna win. And what does he wanna win them over to? Well, notice what he says. He says it in verse 23. I do all these things for the sake of the gospel, of the gospel. I wanna win people over to the gospel. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, my preoccupation is not to win arguments. My preoccupation is not to win religious debates. My preoccupation is not to win people to my preferences and to my opinions. He says, my preoccupation is I wanna win people over to the gospel. My whole life is centered on this. In other words, the apostle Paul is saying this. He's saying this is the preoccupation of my life. It's the gospel. Now, the gospel, by the way, just to kind of help clarify, if you're a person uh, maybe who didn't really grow up in the church, that can be like a churchy word, the gospel. But the gospel literally just means good news. That's, that's what it means. And what is it the good news about? It's the good news about Jesus. In other words, the gospel is the story about Jesus. It's, a, it's, the, it's the good news about what Jesus Christ has come to do for us. It's about his death, it's about his resurrection, and it's about the offer of new life that he gives to all of us. And Paul says, this, this right here is the preoccupation of my entire life. This is it. I wanna win everybody over to this. I wanna do everything possible to the Jew, to be like a Jew, to those that are, that are not under the law, to those like that. I wanna do everything so that this might be clear and accessible to anyone that's seeking after it. I want to live to make Jesus make sense, to make the gospel, the story of Jesus, clear and accessible. If I could say it another way, I might put it this way. I think the apostle Paul is saying, because I'm preoccupied with this, what that means is that I will eliminate every unnecessary barrier that hinders. And I will accommodate in any way that connects for the sake of the gospel. Like this is Paul's mentality. This is his heart. He says, I, I, wanna, I wanna live to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible. And so because of that, I am going to eliminate. I am going to choose to eliminate any unnecessary barrier, any unnecessary complication any unnecessary offense that might hinder you from understanding that message, I'm gonna do everything humanly possible that I can to eliminate everything that's gonna complicate that message. And I'm going to accommodate in any way possible. I'm gonna do anything short of sin to meet you where you are so that I can introduce you to this Jesus, so that I can make the gospel clear and accessible. That's what he's saying in this passage. And I think that's why he says this whole thing about to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Some of you are reading that and you're thinking, what's he talking about there? What is he talking about? Well, let me kind of help you out. So you need to remember but the apostle Paul was actually writing to a very specific circumstance, right? So this is back in the first century. And the apostle Paul is actually writing to a church that was in a place called Corinth. Now, Corinth was an ancient city and it actually was a very diverse place. There was a lot of different people groups that would have been represented in the city of Corinth. But what the apostle Paul is talking about in this passage is he's actually referring to two very distinct people groups. So he's talking about the Jews and he's talking about the non-Jews. So when he talks about the people who are under the law, what he's referring to there is not legal law, he's talking about religious law. He's talking about the Jewish people who were underneath the Jewish laws, the Jewish customs, and the Jewish traditions. And when he talks about the people who are not under the law, who he's referring to is non-Jewish people or the Gentiles, or in this case, it would have been the Greeks. 
And so the Greeks, the Greeks would have been people who didn't grow up in a religious background, kind of like in our day and age, it'd be like churched and unchurched, kind of like the idea. These were people who didn't grow up in a religious background. They were people who were inundated with culture. And so they were into philosophy, they were into intellectualism, they were into entertainment and the arts and those type of things. And so what Paul is saying in this passage is he's saying, depending on who I'm with, whether I'm with the Jewish people or I'm with the Gentile people, I'm trying to reach them for the gospel. He says, I am going to, to become like them in those ways to meet them where they are. Now, what Paul's reacting to here, by the way, is that in this situation, in the Corinthian church, what was happening is there was these Jewish men and women who were becoming Christians. So there's these people who grew up in a Jewish tradition and they were becoming Christ followers. And they were beginning to tell their Gentile and Greek friends about the gospel. But as they were doing that, they were making a big mistake. And here's what they were doing. They basically were going and they were saying, listen, if you wanna be a Christian, this is what the Jewish people were telling their Gentile friends. If you wanna be a Christian, you need to embrace the gospel. You need to know about Jesus and about what he's done for you. And they said, yeah, so you need to know that. And they said, and, and if you wanna be a Christian, you need to embrace the gospel and you need to practice the Jewish traditions of the Old Testament. So for example, some of you might know this, in the Old Testament to the Jewish people, there are prescribed certain feasts and festivals that they're to observe. And so they were basically saying, hey, if you wanna be a Christian, it's the gospel, it's the gospel plus traditions. So you have to observe the Jewish traditions. That's what you're gonna have to do to be a Christian. And then they would tell their Gentile friends, if you wanna be a Christian, it's the gospel plus traditions plus our dietary restrictions. So some of you might know this, uh, the Jewish people have some very strict dietary restrictions. They're called the kosher laws. Those are based, after, based uh, on Leviticus chapter 14. So things like pork, you weren't allowed to eat pork. So basically they were saying, listen, if you wanna be a Christian, it's the gospel, yep, plus tradition, plus, you know that bacon you like to eat? Yeah, none of that anymore. Okay, no more bacon. If you wanna be a Christian, it's the gospel plus tradition minus bacon. That's what it's gonna be. And to which the Gentiles might've been thinking at that point, bummer, man. You mean no bacon? I don't know. This might be a no deal for me, right? And they said, yeah, not only that, not only no bacon, but if you're a dude, if you're a dude, you got to get circumcised because that's what you got to do if you're a Jewish guy. And they're probably thinking, you know, <laughs> man, this is, you, you, this being a Christian sounds really tough. So you're saying I got to have the gospel, which is really good news, and traditions and dietary restrictions and circumcision. They said, yeah, and on top of that, you have to obey the Mishnah. So the Mishnah, uh, by the way, is a collection of oral laws that would have been gathered from Jewish rabbis throughout history. And so basically what they said is, if you wanna be a Christian, it means all of this. It means this, the gospel plus all of this other stuff. And what was happening is they were cluttering up the gospel. And what Paul says is he says, no, 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 no. He says, hey, we're free. We're free from all of those things. So he says, my ambition is that I want to eliminate everything that might hinder so that I might make the gospel clear and accessible. It is not the gospel plus anything else. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And so Paul says, I want to eliminate everything. But not only does he say that, Paul also says, and I also want to accommodate I wanna do everything in my power and everything short of sin to meet you where you are. So for example, if the apostle Paul, let's just say he was sitting down with a Jewish rabbi, okay? And he was trying to share the gospel with a Jewish rabbi. What Paul would do is, let's say they were having breakfast or something. Uh, and the, let's say that as he's talking to this Jewish rabbi and the waiter comes over and the waiter says, hey, would, Paul, would you like uh, with your eggs, would you like some bacon this morning? And now Paul knows that he is free to eat bacon. He is not under the Jewish dietary restrictions anymore. He's a Jewish man, grew up Jewish, but now he's in Christ. He doesn't need to do that anymore. So Paul is free to say, yeah, order me up some bacon. But Paul knows that if he gets some bacon and he's sitting across the table from a Jewish rabbi, that that is now going to be a hindrance and that is gonna be a barrier. And now that man on the other side of the table is not gonna be able to hear him and the gospel is not gonna be clear and accessible because he has put up a barrier between him. And so Paul says, I'm going to use my freedom not to indulge in what I want, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to respectfully decline this goodness from God 
and I am going to say no. Not because of law, but because of love. I love you. I love you. And I care so much more about you knowing Jesus than I do about me having bacon. And so I'm willing to make any necessary sacrifice, right, to make the gospel clear and accessible. Now, what Paul is also saying is this. Let's say the next day, Apostle Paul is sitting down with a, with a Greek philosopher, okay, non-Jewish man, Greek philosopher, and he knows nothing about the gospel, blank slate, right? And so Paul says, if I'm going to sit down with this guy and we're having breakfast, he says, if there's an opportunity for me to connect and I can use my freedom to connect with him. So let's say the server comes up and says, uh, what would you guys like for breakfast? And Paul says, you know what? Why don't you order us up, up a round of bacon? In fact, why don't you double portion for me and for him? And it's on me. I'm paying for it. Paul knows that if he does that in that setting, what that's going to do is it's actually going to be an opportunity to present the gospel. He says, this is an opportunity for me to adorn and to bring the message of the gospel. So here's what he's saying. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to eliminate anything that hinders and I'm willing to accommodate in any way that connects. Why? Because I just want people to know this message and I'm gonna meet you where you are and I'm willing to accommodate in those ways. Now, here's the thing. Some of you might, at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, this, I, I see what you're saying, but doesn't this seem a little bit hypocritical? Like, doesn't it seem like the Apostle Paul is kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth, like he's being inauthentic? Like, when I'm with this group of people, I act this way. And when I'm with that group of people, I act this way. Like, that doesn't seem, that seems kind of inconsistent, doesn't it? And uh, I would just say this. I think, um, I think, no, I don't think this is hypocritical at all. And the reason is because the Apostle Paul has told us what he's devoted to. He has told us what his preoccupation, and what is his preoccupation? My preoccupation is that I want to win as many people to the gospel as I possibly can. And because that is my preoccupation in life, that necessarily means that I'm going to have to change my tactic with, with depending on who I'm with. And by the way, if you've ever studied the, the life of the Apostle Paul, if you ever studied his missionary journeys, he's doing this all the time. And so, for example, in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says that Paul is talking to the Athenians, the people of Athens. And these are people who are not, they don't have a religious background. They're polytheistic. They believe in many gods. They're philosophers. And do you know where Paul starts with them? Uh, he doesn't start with the Bible. He doesn't start with, let me tell you about the Jewish traditions. He starts with their philosophies and he starts with their ideologies and then he works his way to the gospel. Now that's very different when he's with the Jewish people. When he's with the Jewish people, he starts with their customs. He starts with their traditions. He begins with those things and then he brings them to the gospel. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, I think I hear what Paul's saying here, but like how far are you actually supposed to go with this? Like where's the line? Where exactly is the line? I want you to notice what Paul says here. I think this is important. Paul says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So in other words, what he's saying here is, I will do anything short of sin. So what Paul says is, I'm not gonna break God's moral law. Like I'm, he doesn't say to the murderer, I'm gonna become a murderer. He's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. Why? Because that breaks, I will do anything short of sin. He doesn't say to a Steelers fan, I will become a Steelers fan, right? Why not? Because that's sin, right? That's against God's moral law. I'm kidding, kind of, all right? So that's, but what he's saying is, no, 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 I, I don't go that far. It reminded me of, I, I had a friend of mine send me this, this really disturbing video. Uh, it was a YouTube video. It was this couple, a Christian couple, married couple, who uh, they, they said that they wanted to try to reach people for Jesus, which is great. But the way in which they were doing that was they decided to become Christian swingers. And so they said, uh, we know there's a whole community of people that, you know, are, that need Jesus and they're in the swinger community. And so we just wanna become all things to all men that by all possible means we might win some. And so they were talking about how they like to swing as a couple and then tell people about Jesus. And I saw that and I just thought, gosh, no, no way. That's just not even close to God's heart. And that's compromising God's law. That's compromising God's standard of sexuality. So because of that, there's a line here, right? But Paul is basically saying, I will do anything short of sin, anything short of sin to meet you where you are. I will use my freedom, not just to indulge in myself, but to connect with you to make the gospel clear and accessible. Now, here's what we believe as a church, okay? I know we spent a lot of time talking about the apostle Paul and back what it was like in his day. But we believe that this needs to be true of every Christ follower. 
But this needs to be the preoccupation of our church and the preoccupation of our lives. It's the same thing. Because the truth is, even though we live in a very different time than the Apostle Paul did, in a lot of ways in our churches today, uh, the gospel, the message of the gospel can sometimes be unclear and can be inaccessible. Sometimes we can clutter up the gospel with a bunch of other things. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, let's just talk about us, for, for example. So in the church experience that many of us maybe have had, it's the gospel, right? It's the story about Jesus. It's about his sacrifice for us. But some people might say it's the gospel, yes, but it's the gospel to be a Christian means it's the gospel plus tradition. And so maybe you grew up in a church where there were certain traditional elements. So maybe you grew up in a church where there was some pews that were there, or maybe you guys, you know, in your church, you sang hymns out of, remember this book? and would sing out of the whatever. And are these things bad things? No, fine. Are these things helpful things? Sometimes, yeah, maybe. But the problem is that what we can do sometimes is we can tell people that to be a Christian means yes, the gospel, but only the gospel plus these things. Buildings, and I mean, you could put a bunch of things on this screen. Right? Uh, some people might say, uh, you might look and they might say it's the gospel. Yes, it's the gospel, but it's the gospel plus a certain political point of view. And so if you're going to be a Christian, that means that you have to be a Republican because clearly God is a Republican, right? And so when you, you know, look at scripture, you see God is anti-abortion. And that means that if you're not a Republican, that you're not a Christian. And we'll associate those things together. Or on the other side of the fence, you might say, if you're a Christian, that means that you have to be a Democrat because God cares for the poor and he loves the poor. And so if you're not a Democrat, then you're not a real Christian. And, and what we can do is we can say, it is the gospel plus, to be a Christian is the gospel plus, you gotta look like this. We could say it's the gospel plus subculture. So if you're gonna be a Christian, that means you need to listen to you know, the fish and listen to Christian music and you need to wear Christian gear. That's what it means. And so you got to buy shirts like this one right here, right? That Jesus is calling, accept or decline. Bestseller on Amazon, just saying, right? So you're like, I got to get my Jesus gear and I got to get my testaments, you know, and the little breath mints called testaments that exist. That's real. And uh, you're like, I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta get immersed in the subculture, right? That's it's Jesus plus the subculture, Jesus plus a political view, Jesus plus some kind of tradition. It's Jesus plus certain habits that I have to give up. So if I'm gonna be a Christian, well, that means I can't, I can't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, right? That's just I'm not allowed to do that. That's not that's just the taboo, and that's not part of Christianity. Now, listen, I, I could go on and on. I could put so many things on this screen. You know what I'm talking about. But here's what happens sometimes is that we can look, for those of us who follow Christ, we can look at people who don't follow Jesus and we can tell them that to become a Christian means this. And we have so cluttered it up. We have so bogged down the gospel with all this junk that we're saying you have to act like, think like, and look like a certain way. What Paul is saying is my heart, my heartbeat is that we declutter all of that for people and we get down to what the main thing is. And what is the main thing? It's the gospel. It's the message about Jesus. It's the story about Jesus. We want to make that clear and accessible to everyone seeking after him. So here, here's the question. How do we do that here at Grace Church? How does, that, how does this value show up? Well, I could just tell you, this value is not just a value that we have written down somewhere and that we've tucked away in a drawer in our office or something. This isn't just a value we put on the wall, but doesn't actually show up in what we do. This value is one that we hold in tension, quite honestly, in every decision that we make. And so, so I can't tell you the countless amounts of times that I've been in meetings and I've been with people, we've been strategizing, we've been dreaming, and we've been talking about this value. How do we help make Jesus make sense? So I'll, just give you a few, I'll give you a few real small practical ways that this shows up for us. I, there's a ton, but I could give you a few. One is um, like our weekend services here. So where you're sitting right now, right? We have four weekend services, two on Saturday and two on Sunday. And I can just tell you that as we're processing and thinking about these services, one of the things that we're thinking about is how can we help make Jesus make sense? How can we help eliminate any unnecessary barrier that might hinder someone from knowing the gospel, any unnecessary offense? And how can we accommodate in any way short of sin to help connect you with the gospel? And so a few ways that that shows up, one is even from the time you walk into this building, we're thinking about that. 
And so one of the things that we say, uh, our teams here, if you're a volunteer, if you're on our teams here at Grace, we say that we wanna make strangers feel like family. It's one of our goals. We, we hope that if you're a guest here or if you're newer here, that when you came in, you walked into a wave of hospitality, that you walked into a group of people who just cared about you and loved you and said, hi, and were friendly and, and, and those things. So let me just say, if you're a guest and you felt that way, like if, you, if you've been coming recently and the first time you walked into Grace, you were like, wow, these people are really friendly. I, I feel really invited into this place. I just wanna let you know, that's by design. We're trying to do that. And some of you, let me say, maybe you walked in and you didn't feel that way. If you didn't feel that way, I just wanna apologize to you. That's a miss because that's not what we're going for. We, we wanna invite strangers to feel like family. And let me just tell you the reason why, I'll just be really upfront with you about this. The reason why we do that is not just because being friendly is a nice thing. The reason that we do that is because we're trying to make the gospel make sense. We're trying to make Jesus make sense. And we believe that the message of the gospel is a message that tells us that God is a God of radical hospitality, that we were strangers and alienated from God because of our sin, but that Jesus and his great love has invited us into his family. And so because of that, we want you to feel that. And our hope is that you would feel the gospel before you even hear it. It's our hope. Um, one of the things we like to do here at Grace, we don't do this perfectly, but we try to. We like to give away free stuff whenever we can. If we can, we like to give away free things. So for example, if you go to our snack bar, coffee bar, hot chocolate tea, that's all free. We don't put a donation tip jar thing out, whatever. And the reason is, well, first off, it's not that great a coffee, right? So it'd be, it'd be a sin if we charged you for that stuff. Um, but one of the big reasons, quite honestly, is because we believe that the gospel is free. The gospel is a free gift. You don't earn it, you don't pay for it. It's given to you freely by God. We wanna communicate that. Uh, we love to give away Bibles. So we say it every week. If you don't own a Bible, take one of our Bibles home with you. Why do we do that? I'll tell you why. It is because we believe that God freely gave us his word. And so we wanna freely give you his word so that you can know him. He wants to invite you into a relationship with him. We tell people, you can take your coffee right into the auditorium. Just go ahead and take it right in there. Why do we do that? I'll tell you why. We're actually trying to communicate. We are okay with messiness. We recognize that we're messy people. We're all more messed up than we think we are is how we say it. Now, I'm not saying come in and dump your coffee on the floor, all right? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we just, we, I, this might be a conviction of my own. I believe if you walk into a place for the first time and they tell you, you gotta pay for your coffee and you can't take it in the auditorium, I think what they've just told you is actually antithetical to what the gospel teaches that you have to pay for something and that we're not okay with messiness. And what we're trying to communicate is something, even small little things like that. It shows, up in, um, it shows up in the way we try to communicate. So whoever's up here preaching or the music that we do, we're always trying to think through, okay, let's, let's assume that someone that's in here doesn't know the Bible. And so how can we help communicate? We don't always get this right, but we're always trying to ask the question of how can we help the Bible make sense to someone who didn't grow up knowing the Bible? And so I think all of us have been in that situation where you walk into a room and it's a bunch of IT guys and you have no idea what they're talking about. And the same thing can happen with the religious community as well. We can speak Christianese in a way that doesn't make sense to the average person. And so we're trying to think that through, right? One of the things that we say a lot is that a lot of the decisions that we make are not a matter of preference, they're a matter of mission. They're a matter of mission. We're trying to make Jesus make sense. We do it imperfectly, but our hope is to eliminate any barrier to make the gospel clear and accessible. Weekend services is one way. Life groups is another way. Life groups, part, in part, the reason these exist is to help make Jesus make sense. We understand that following Jesus in 21st century America is a uniquely complicated thing. It's not clean and easy to know what it looks like to follow Jesus today. And we think because of that, you shouldn't have to figure that out on your own. Uh, you should be with a community of people who are trying to flesh that out together to, to look at what does it look like to actually follow Jesus and to live out the gospel in our community, in our world. That's why life groups exist. You don't have to go it alone. You don't have to figure this thing out on your own. You can be with a community and network of people who are committed to doing that together. It's part of why life groups exist. Uh, discovery, our equipping division, the classes that we offer, those all exist for the same purpose. We wanna help make Jesus make sense. Those equipping division courses that Tommy mentioned earlier, the what is the Bible and what do Christians believe? Just telling you, if you're a person who knows nothing about where did the Bible come from, how did we get it, is it reliable? 
Uh, what, is the, what, what do Christians actually believe? These all are intended to help make Jesus make sense, to help the gospel make sense in your real life, being relevant to where you're at kind of those things. Uh, things like Power Kids and Student Ministries, all of our ministries that we do. Why do we have ministries that are specifically designated to children and to students? Is that because we don't want kids in the big room? Is that why? Partially. Um, <laughs> no, right? The reason we do that is because we want to reach kids where they are. We wanna reach students where they are and we recognize that it's gonna take a unique connecting point to do that. And so we have ministries that are designed that are willing to make any necessary sacrifice to reach them and to make the gospel clear. This is why we do camps. This is why we do conferences. This is why we do Bible camp. We put a lot of energy into those things. Why? Because we're trying to make the gospel clear and accessible, the story of Jesus clear and accessible. I give you a bunch of other ways that we do this too with our local missions and with our global missions projects and how this is showing up in a lot of different ways. But that's how it shows up at Grace. Those are a few ways. Now, let me just say this, this last thing too. We think that this is a biblical conviction. This is a conviction and a value for us as a church. And we believe that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ in this room, and I know not everybody is, but for those of us who follow Christ, we believe that this needs to be a value that we each individually hold as well. That, that, that for a person who has been radically transformed by the gospel, that making Jesus clear and accessible should be the preoccupation of our lives. That our heart should beat like the Apostle Paul's. And so I think because of that, there's a couple key questions that maybe we could ask in, in light of this conversation. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I think here's a few questions that maybe you need to process through in light of what we just talked about today. Number one, what are you, just think about this. What are you preoccupied with? What is the, what is the preoccupation of your life? What is it? What, what is the thing that you are all consumed with that you are obsessively, compulsively focused on in your life? Now, this can ebb and flow during different seasons of your life, but I think it's worth asking. What is the preoccupation? What is the preoccupation? What is the filter by which you sift every decision you make through. Uh, every penny that you spend, every hour that you give, what, what are you thinking? What, what dictates those things? What are the highest priorities on those lists for you? I think in light of that, the, se the second question would just simply be this. What might is there anything that might need to be eliminated? So when, when your family looks at your life, what would they say you're preoccupied with? When your coworkers look at your life, what would they say you're preoccupied with? When someone looks onto your social media page, what would they look and say, that is the preoccupation of your life? And in light of that, is there anything that maybe needs to be eliminated? Is there any, listen, is there any unnecessary barrier that you are erecting in your life that is actually prohibiting people from seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ through you, if you're a follower of Jesus? So for example, maybe you're the guy at work and everyone knows you you're just the anti-Trump guy. That's just you. And you're just constantly blasting, you know, the, the, the conservative agenda. Or maybe, maybe you're the staunch conservative. And you're just the guy who's just always raging on. And that's what you're known for. If someone said, what's the preoccupation of that guy's life? They're like, oh, it's that, clearly. If you look at your social media page, that is, that is the banner you are waving. Now hear me, you are free to have political views. That's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. But is it possible that maybe in certain settings, that's something you need to eliminate for the sake of, you are, you are isolating yourself from 50% of the people that you could reach for the sake of the gospel by, by maybe taking a stand on things that are ancillary, whatever that might be, right? Maybe for you, maybe you're the person um, who is just the organic one, right? You're just super into eating organic, you know, holistic kind of thing, and you've watched documentaries about eating clean, and that's, and that's fine, it's wonderful. But, but maybe, maybe that is the gospel that you preach. And if someone disagrees with you on that, ooh, they're gonna hear it, and that is just the thing that you're gonna be all, that is the high horse you're gonna get on. And is it possible that maybe that's something that might be eliminated in some settings to make the gospel clear and accessible? Here's the other thing. What are ways you could accommodate so are there ways? What are ways that you could meet someone where they are and not just invite them into your turf, but go on their turf to meet them? What are some ways you could do that? In your neighborhood, right? Uh, in your peer groups, at work, with your family, are there ways that you can do that? What if, uh, what if you had a, a neighbor or someone at, at your school and you invited them to church, which is a great thing, 
but they're not willing to come to church? What if you said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna find a hobby that they're interested in and I'm gonna learn about that. I'm gonna use my freedom to meet them where they are, to try to make a connection, right? I think those are some great things to ask. These are good questions to ask if you are a follower of Jesus. So our value, again, we live to make Jesus make sense. We are preoccupied with making this any sacrifice to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to any that are seeking after him. May ask the band to come up. And uh, as they make their way up here, um, I wanna just close out with one final last point. And this might be the most important thing I say all day. So if you are a person who follows, who follows Jesus here, this is what we live for. We live to make Jesus make sense. But you might be a person who's here today and maybe, maybe you're investigating Christ or you grew up in religious tradition, but quite honestly, the gospel is not clear to you. In this whole time, you're like, dude, you've been talking about making the gospel clear and accessible this whole time. You've been talking about how you do that and how you don't do that. But one thing you haven't done is you haven't told me what the gospel is. You have not made it clear and accessible. And so I would be remiss if I didn't take an opportunity right now to as clearly and as simply as I can to just tell you what the gospel is. So let me do that right now. I wanna give you just a clear, simple definition. What is the message of the gospel? What is the story of Jesus? Now, there's a few ways you can do this. Uh, the way I wanna tell you right now is really clean. It's really easy. I actually got this from uh, Dan Miller. Dan Miller, who was preaching last week, I thought this was really helpful. So here it is, the gospel. If you're like, what is the gospel? What is it that you're trying to make clear and accessible? It's this right here. Here it is, being as clear as I know how to be, okay? It is the message, first and foremost, that God is love. God is love. Here's where you have to start. God loves you. He loves you. You were created by a loving God for the purpose of love. And you were created in love. A loving God created you for the purpose of love and God loves you and you were created for the love of God and you were created to love God. And the Bible tells us that. So I don't know what your background is. I don't know what you believe about yourself, but I just wanna tell you right now, God loves you. He loves you with an eternal love. He loves you more than you know. God loves you. He loves you. That's where it starts. But there's a problem. And the Bible's gonna tell us the problem is this, all of sin. This is the problem. This is the eternal problem. This is the most serious problem that every single one of us in this room shares, that we all have sinned. Now, I know sin might sound like a churchy word, but I just wanna tell you, sin is more serious than you and I think. It is more serious than we know. Its effects are absolutely devastating. The Bible tells us that sin robs us from the life that God desires for us. And all of us have sinned. All of us have decided to go our own way. We have rebelled against God. And the Bible says that that has created not just, not just problems in our life, but it has created an eternal separation from us and God. It is an eternal problem. And the Bible's gonna tell us that there is nothing that any of us can do to regain a right relationship with God. There is no amount of good works. There is no amount of uh, church attendance. There is no amount of altruistic behaviors that is somehow gonna get you in a right relationship with God. We can't do it on our own. And so all of us have sinned and sin affects us more than you know. We are all more messed up than we think. But here's the good news. The good news is that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us and Jesus saves. And so God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world to die for us. Jesus lived a perfect life that we couldn't live for ourselves and then he died a sacrificial death for our sins on the cross and the Bible says that three days later, God rose him from the dead. Physically, bodily, literally, historically, Jesus rose from the dead. And the Bible tells us that now he invites us into a relationship with him and we surrender our lives to him. We experience the forgiveness of sins. He invites us into his family and he invites us into his kingdom and he leads us into the life that he desires for us that ultimately ends up into eternal life with him. And listen, here's what Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. He is the only solution to the deepest human problem. And there's no other way that we can experience the life that God desires from us apart from Jesus Christ. And I just wanna tell you again, as clearly as I know how to say it, that is the gospel. That is the message that we are preoccupied with. If I could make it any clearer, I would. I wish I could. In fact, I'll try. My wife encouraged me to give you the, the gospel in emojis. So if you need an emojis, here you go. There's the gospel in emojis. 
We will do whatever it takes to make it as clear as humanly possible. Why? Because we want you to know Jesus. We want you to know Jesus. If you're a person that's not following Jesus in this room, you might be thinking, what's this church all about? What is this church's agenda? I'm telling you, it's this. We want you to know Jesus. You might be saying, are you, are you proselytizing me? Yes. You're like, are you telling me you want me to be a Christian? Yes. Are you trying to persuade me to stop thinking the way I am and to embrace that? Yes. Yes. Because we believe that this right here is God's solution to your biggest problems. It's God's solution to your sin. And I just wanna make it clear to you. And listen, I wanna make it accessible to you. If you have never embraced the gospel, if you have never done that before, man, why not? Why not today? Why not put a stake in the ground and start your walk with Jesus today? You can do that right now. There's no amount of good work. You don't have to clean up your life first. Come as you are. Surrender yourself to Jesus. Give your life to him and your walk with Jesus can begin today. And so we live to make Jesus make sense. We're just preoccupied with making any sacrifice to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to anyone who's seeking after him. Let's pray. But Jesus, I just want to say thank you that you, uh, Christ, have come to make the Father make sense. And you know, the Bible says, if anyone has seen you, we've seen the Father. And so you put flesh on and you uh, came down to our level and you met us where we were so that we might know you. And so, Father, thank you that you did this. Jesus, thank you that you did this, that you went through every necessary sacrifice to make salvation accessible to us. And so, God, I pray you'd help us. For those of us who follow you, would you help us to make this the preoccupation of our lives? We recognize there's a lot of good things we can give ourselves to. There's a lot of helpful things we can give ourselves to. Education and politics and social justice, and these are very helpful things. But the truth is, they don't really solve the eternal problem that we face. And so because of that, there is a higher, more transcendent um, focal point for us to, to, put our, to put our affections on. And there's, a, there's something that's more worthy of our preoccupation. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to be preoccupied with this message, the message of the gospel. And for those who have never embraced the gospel, I pray that maybe today it'd be clear, be clear, and they would see that it's a free gift that's offered to them by you. And so God, I ask these things and pray in Christ's name.